Hey, everybody. Um, so I'm going to do the intro today and just say I'm glad that you are here tuning in. Um, hang out for a brief bit following the sermon because there's going to be a conversation afterwards. It's kind of always fun to talk about things that um, that aren't that they like, do not fit, that don't don't flow in it, and to have a conversation to bring up, you know, things on the side or bigger ideas or concepts or things that the pastor hasn't ever really th thought of before. So it's it's kind of a fun thing to do. So uh, hang around after. But so today, the the journey that the two of us are going to be on or the group of us or our church is going to be on. It, it, so is this journey through the end of John chapter 8, but it's a part of this bigger sermon series on the Gospel of John. Um, the Gospel of John has shown us a ton of different things, different concepts, different poetry, different uh, types of theology. I mean, like, there's been a lot of very cool conversations that have been coming from the book of John. And, and being a pastor here, being able to participate in doing John, it's just been really fun. It's been really challenging. Um, and I feel very honored to be here doing the thing I'm doing today. So I say that having, having hold, held the upcoming passage uh, in John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, it's kind of broken up into a couple different parts. There's uh, the, the story of the, the person caught having adultery, and then there's all of the things that happen following that. Um, that seems to be like this big debate on who Jesus is claiming to be, who the Pharisees are claiming to be, who people are claiming to be, and how all those things combine together. So, so although the beginning of John chapter 8 begins, and it's just simply uh, the first verse through verse 12, so everything following tends to be grouped uh Kind of, uh, and, and that's verse 12 through 58. And so that is a ton of passages to, to try to unpack during a single sermon. And I kind of even think it's impossible. Um, but the, the goal I have today is to somehow uh, kind of just instead of unpacking everything uh, from 12 to 58, it's to give you the ability to go home, to sit in it, to see these passages by giving you the concepts and the, the things that are exciting about it, how to think about it, the, the things that you should be asking, the things that shine and shimmer, um, because there's a ton of content here that could take years to unpack. And, 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 and during this journey in these texts, um, it kind of brings a person to a point that the point of these texts could define who you are as a human being following God, or it could define the opposite of that. And so to kind of condense it all into a simple sermon 
it would be a horrible thing to do. So, um, so today it's a ton of content. So today is this this very pivotal chapter in the book of John. And today our goal is to have a ton of fun exploring things that um, that, that are just very central to the Christian faith. Um, so, 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 so I'm going to ask that you all just just hang hang by my side um pay attention because all the tiny little things that get brought up in the end are all going to come together to form this beautiful tapestry so if there are times that you're like okay i don't understand I understand that. There's going to be a ton of those times here, but hang in there because John chapter 8, verse 12, all the way to 58 is really, really exciting and beautiful and good. So turn your Bibles to John 8, verse 12 through 58. And I'm going to begin by telling um, some of the heart things that, that I have happening going into this passage. So I have a friend who had a friend who I don't even have a clue who this guy is, but his father died. And so the friend that I have is telling the story of her friend who had his father die. And she began to unpack a bit about who this guy's father is. And he was a a poor father. He was... Um, someone who had been addicted to alcohol. He was someone who um, who did not show up. Um, he was someone that that to be, be a son of him, it, it was probably very, very, very hard. And so, so as she's telling this story, the idea that this guy's father died, it began to kind of like haunt. Uh, 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 everything that I was. Like, I couldn't get beyond the fact that this guy's father died. But I don't have a clue who this guy is. I haven't really talked to him before, but I had a ton of compassion because this guy's father died. And here was the thing that was behind it. I understand that being a son, uh, uh, being the son who has a father, a bunch of who I am comes from who the father I have is. And beyond that idea, all the holes and the pains and the broken things and the the hopes and dreams and desires that I have, I hate to say it, but it comes from this hope that he saw me or I could heal something between us or that there was something that he did that caused pain, something he said that I would have hoped he would have said different. And during the time that he is here on the earth, it feels kind of like I have the opportunity to bring wholeness and healing. There's the opportunity for a conversation to happen that the father I have, it defines a bunch of the heart of who I am. And for this guy whose father died and he died in a place of hardship and tension. And how he talks about his dad is from a place of pain. And because he's not here anymore, it's kind of like it was like concrete was 
poured over that because the healing that he was hoping for is not going to happen. The conversations that could have brought health is not going to happen. The, it's like solid and stone, and I grieved. The place that he is today seems very painful and very permanent. The Hebrew people had a very similar vocabulary as far as the father father of a son. Who the father is, that's who a son is. And, and furthermore, who the patriarch it, for a for a particular like dynasty, that is who who everyone who follows kind of is. It's like they embody their father. So you think about it, um, talking about the Bible, talking about the Hebrew people, they always talk about Father Abraham. And, and so, so growing up being a part of church, there's that song, you know, Father Abraham. And, and he has a ton of sons and people are saying, I'm a son of him and, and so are you. And, and, and this is idea that all of us who follow Jesus are sons of Abraham. However, that's impossible, correct? But for, from the Hebrew perspective, that isn't a biology thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's the embodiment of, I fall in the order of the sonship of Abraham. And the Hebrew people saw themselves taking on this identity because who Abraham, he was like handpicked by God himself to be incredible. Like God picks him and says, everyone who follows, follows you is going to be, be a son and is going to be a daughter. Hence, so if you believe in Jesus, there's this idea of Father Abraham and the Jewish people. Who is your father is a very common thing to ask. It's like, who are you? How do you think? Who do you believe um, how do you embody your practices? All the Hebrew people are going to say, I am a son of Abraham. This is important for our text going forward because the text in the book of John, it's for the sons and the daughters of Abraham. And, and so these are the people that are being included, especially in John chapter eight, because John chapter eight follows this tradition trajectory in the context of talking about the feasts and festivals that the Jewish calendar has. Here's, here's the second tidbit that's important. So we have Father Abraham, and then we have the overarching calendar of the Jewish feasts and festivals that are happening. And from a, a biblical perspective, that there are three feasts that are important to the, the concept that, that during these times, so if you, are, if you are a son of Abraham, it's time to come home to the holy city. So, so all the other things as far as the Hebrew calendar goes can happen at home in the places that you are. However, on the feast of Pentecost, you come home. Uh, during the feast of the tabernacle, you come home. During the Feast of Passover, you come home. Those are the, the times that, that 
the Jewish people come back to the holy city. So the, the Jewish people, they are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And then during Pentecost, Passover, and the Feast of the Tabernacle, they are coming home to the holy city. These are very important to understand to set up the context as far as John chapter 8 goes. Because John chapter 8 is happening during the Feast of Tabernacles. And it also is called the Feast of Bruce. And in Hebrew, it's called Coat and Sukkot is like the umbrella uh, 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 that holds the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booze. It understands the concepts that I'm going to unpack here in a bit, but I'm setting up this context a bit of these are sons and daughters of Abraham, and then this is happening during the Feast of the Tabernacles. So this is brilliant. So John chapter 8, the first 12 verses is talking about the person who's been caught in adultery. And, and so there's a story that happens that this girl is caught there in adultery and she is brought to the place that's there in the temple that is set aside for forced stonings to happen. And a stoning is something, um, so it's a public form for a the execution to, to, to take place. So, so it's a group of people who can pick up stones and they all participate by hurling stones at a person to execute them. And there is a specific place in the temple that that happens. And that also is important to have in the back of your head. Also, think about the idea of who, who the adulterous people are in the Old Testament. The, the author of John is very intentional about bringing up the prophets. And so you have the sons of sons and daughters of of Abraham, uh, you have the Feast of Tabernacles, and th th then you have the person who's caught having adultery brought to the temple, about to be executed, but Jesus sets her free and says, go and do not sin. Um, and this is the context that brings us to our passage today. So the thing I'm going to do, I'm going to say the passage that's there at the very beginning, Beginning, and then I'm going to say the passage at the very bottom, like at the end. And then I'm going to begin to unpack the things that are in between the beginning and the end. It's a ton. I'm sorry, but it's going to be awesome. Okay. Whew. All right. So here it is. Help me out. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so that is how it begins. And then at the very end, here's how it ends. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. All right, so, so in the beginning of this passage, there's this thing that, that Jesus is saying that's really big. I am the 
height. Okay, so he begins verse 12 by, by proclaiming, I am the height. And then something happens from that point on that brings the Pharisees and the people who have heard who he is testifying to be to bring to a spot of, okay, it's time to kill him. And so our passage is going to be talking about who he's claiming to be, how he's claiming to be it, and then furthermore, the things in between that brings us to a place that the Pharisees have to choose, do I crown him or do I kill him? Because that's the place that that, that, that Jesus is, is bringing people at the end of the day. It's you either have to put a crown on or you need to kill me. And sometimes it's both. It's pretty interesting. So he says, I am the light of the world. Here's the context. Um, so, so John chapter eight is happening during the Feast of Booze. And so I want to talk about the Feast of Booths for just a tiny segment because I think this is very important to understanding how come who he's testifying to be is causing people to be furious. So the Feast of Booths and all the big festivals, they followed the Exodus, the Exodus path. So you have the Passover that happens. That's that's the story of the angel of death coming and 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 it causes Pharaoh to say, okay, they got to go. Um, so there's the feast of Passover. Then you have the feast of Pentecost. And Pentecost, it celebrates the story of Sinai, how God brought his people to Sinai and God came down. The people were there and they came together and they became his people. Um, that's the origin of Pentecost. And then you have the Feast of Booths. That, that the thing that happens during the Feast of Booths, it celebrates the journey of 40 years. It's the 40, 40 years of that the entire Hebrew people had been dependent on the presence of God. Um, they were brought to a, a place for 40 years that they couldn't survive apart from him. So, so God would feed them from the form of bread. God provided them water um, through a few a uh, few various things that happened from like the holiness of God. And then furthermore, God created a path for them by a pillar of fire. And the whole time, the Hebrew people have these booze, they have these tents that become their home for 40 years. And, and, and so in the center of these tents, uh, so God put his house there in the center. That was the tabernacle. And so, so God chose to dwell there and kind of in the center of 
the tents that are there and he would feed them, he would sustain them, and then he would give them a path. And so during the time that the, the feast of booze happened, how they would celebrate it is, so all of the sons of Abraham, they all put up these temporary like cardboard boxes and canvas tents and they all would stay in there during the entire festival. It was like a big family camping experience. It was like, think about all the Hebrew people, like, like thousands and thousands and thousands, and they're all bringing their cardboard boxes, their tents, they're including the kings and the queens. And like, it's all people are on the same page here. The Pharisees, Sadducees, like, it's like a gigantic family camping trip. And the whole time, the things that people are sharing are, um, here's how God had been. Here's how he provided food. Here's how he sustained us. Here's blah, blah, blah. So throughout the, the, the feast, there are certain things that are celebrated. There's the bread. There's the water. And then there's the pillar of fire on the final day that is talked about and celebrated. So throughout John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, John is taking us by the hand and spelling out the feast of booze, beginning at the feeding of the 5,000 and going on. I am the bread. So he's comparing himself to the bread that came down from heaven. If you are hungry, eat me. Um, then there's a passage that if you are th- thirsty, come and drink, and I will sustain that. And then that brings us to our passage today during the Feast of Booze, during the final day of the Feast of Booze, the things that, that actually happens during that day to celebrate the pillar of fire because you have to think about how big the pillar of fire had been to the Jewish people. So out in the places that they had been during the desert times, there aren't burnable substances there. There isn't the the oil to burn. As soon as the sun goes down, it is pitch black. Um, They don't have anything except for the presence of God. There's this pillar of fire. And then the Hebrew scholars talk about that the time that the Hebrew people could go from point A to point B had been following the times that the sun went down because it was so hot. And so during the day, people all would stay in. But then during the evening, the sun goes down and the pillar of fire, it would guide them through the darkness. Think about all of the passages there in the Old Testament that talk about about it being dark and how he is our path, how he, uh, he, he is that bright light that that shines, that if you follow it, like all throughout the Old Testament, there's the image of that. So it is the final day of the Feast of Booze. And, and here is Jesus. He is proclaiming something that is very powerful. It's the final thing. He already said, I am the 
bread from heaven. Uh, uh, so I am, uh, so if you are thirsty, come to me. And then of course, the final thing on the Feast of Booze is this pillar of fire concept and they decorate and it's bright and, and they celebrate the presence of God through this light. And he says, I am the light of the world. And, and this, the Feast of Booze, and especially the final day, has set the context for him to proclaim, here's who I am. I had been the pillar of fire. I am the pillar of fire. I am the thing that had been spoken in the very beginning into the darkness, in the beginning of creation that God's, you know, like shatter, you know, that's the thing that is happening. And he states this during a holy festival, holy time, and it causes chaos because he is claiming to be God himself. Um, So, so it goes from that point that he is claiming to be God and the people who hear it, especially the Pharisees who hear him say, this is who I am. I am the pillar of fire. I am the thing that has paved the path. I am the bread. I am, and they, Pharisees come to a point that they say, wait, who do you think you actually are? And so I'm going to unpack these passages just a bit. Who do you think you are? And I could just see Jesus here again saying, I only do the thing the Father says to do. And, and because he invokes this idea of God as his Father, it begins this debate on who he is and who the Pharisees are and who the people of God are and who Satan is. And there's a ton of going back and forth debates. But here's the overall context. So who do you think that you are? And he says, so I am the son of the father. I do the things that the father says to do. And the Pharisees then go, yeah, I don't think so. That's insane. Uh, um, and th- th- then he says, how is that possible that you think that it's insane? I come to, down from heaven. I only speak the truth. I say what God is telling me to do. And, and then from that point, he confronts the Pharisees. And then he almost says, so tell me the people that you believe that you are then. And the Pharisees get puffed and they say, so all of us are sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, I don't think you are. And the the Pharisees say, of course. So all of us are sons of, uh, uh, of Father Abraham. That's our feast. This is our festival. This is the thing that, that all of us do. And then the thing he says back is, I don't think that you're a son of Abraham. In fact, so I think that you are a son of Satan. And so so this ultimate jab here of going back and forth that the Pharisees are saying, who do you think that 
you are. And he's saying, I'm a son of God. And then he's like, well, tell me the person that you think that you are. I'm a son of the father Abraham. I don't think so. I think that you're a son of Satan. And then it goes back and forth, back and forth. And it brings us to this passage that Jesus begins talking about people who sin because of this idea of Satan bringing into it. And he talks about how that a son is going to do the things that he has seen his father doing. So bringing back that, that idea in the beginning that a son carries who the father is. And so, so this idea of the the Pharisees being people who are plotting to kill him. He says the sons that are the sons of Abraham aren't going to do that, but the sons of Satan probably are. So the odds are that you are a son of Satan and a son of sin. And here's the passage he says about that. So I need some help here. Very truly, I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what I have heard from my Father. Then from that, so the things that the Pharisees say is, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth and that I have heard from God, Abraham did no such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And he's claiming that that had been Satan himself. And so there's this idea that's being presented here, this idea of sin. And then, so if you truly are a son, the thing that you're going to do is a thing that the father had done. The, the thing that was very cool about how, how the passage talking about being a slave to sin. So even in bringing up this idea of being sons of Satan and being slaves to sin, and he goes, but it isn't permanent. So if the son sets you free from this, this temporary place that you're in, like he is, is seeing these people in compassion saying, hey, hey, I I." get it. I see the anger. I see the hatred. I see the sin and that you are a slave to it. But this is a temporary place. If I set you free, you are free indeed. However, I I see the thing that's happening here and that you're only doing the thing that you have seen the father doing. And he's talking about Satan and that is growing inside of their hearts. And the thing that they Dude, it's like, whoa, 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 time out. Abraham, he is our father, right? So there is, is something that's happening here that they aren't seeing eye to eye because who Jesus is saying the Pharisees are 
is something different than who the Pharisees think they are. And, and so Jesus is calling out, man, who you are acting as and who you are behaving as and the things you are doing, it seems that although you think that you're Abraham's son, it seems that you are a slave to sin and a slave to Satan. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, have these puffed up chests saying, no, 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 no. You are incorrect, sir. I am a son of Abraham, who actually is a son of God. And uh, and there's that. And it brings us to a place of understanding or questioning because the the place that this passage brings us is truly this place of do I do the things I see and hear the Father doing? Am I defined by the Father? Or am I defined by who I follow? Or am I off doing something else? Because that's the thing that's happening here. The holy people during this holy festival are plotting to kill somebody and trying to trap him. And and, and the thing that Jesus is saying is that is not something Abraham could have ever done. And so the thing that's cool at this point, so, so, so he is confronting the Pharisees. And he is talking to them as if he had a firsthand encounter talking to Abraham. And he's confronting them. And they're like, I am a son of Abraham. And everyone here are sons and daughters of Abraham. And this is our country. And this is our God. And who Jesus is in this context, he says, no, you're not. I, I am, I've had Abraham experience and the person that you are is in direct contact, contrast to Abraham himself. The Pharisees at this point go, how's that even possible? And they poke fun of him and saying, how old are you? It doesn't even seem that you're even 50. However, the claim that you have had to encounter Abraham is impossible. And that is a part of this passage that I think is incredible because I want to bring us back to Genesis chapter 18. So here is Genesis 18. Okay, so at the very beginning of the Bible. Okay. Help me out, guys. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mahir, where he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. All right. So so here is the 
guy people are pointing at as saying, here is our father who God had picked and all the descendants following him, they are the sons and daughters of, of God. And, and back in Genesis chapter 18, it says that God came to Abraham in the form of three persons. How cool is that? And Abraham is sitting in his tent. How cool is that? This is the feast of Sukkot. This is the feast of booze. Like God puts his presence in front of Abraham's tent. And the thing that Abraham does is he sees God and he hurries out to him. And in that culture, people don't do that. You don't hurry. You don't sprint. It's shameful. But, but, But Abraham picked up his garments and he goes before the feet of God and he bows down before him and says, if I have found favor, please don't go anywhere. Okay. That is the encounter that Jesus had as far as the person of Abraham. Bringing this back to our context, it's the Feast of Booth. It's celebrating this family camping trip for 40 years. There's the tents. So everyone is in their tents. And then there's a temple in the center. And and, and, and furthermore, like, um, it, it's, Oh man, they celebrated the bread. They celebrated the drink. And today they're celebrating the pillar of fire. And Jesus says, I am that pillar of fire. I am that bread. I am the drink. I am this. I am the presence. And furthermore, I, (laughs) so Abraham and I had something special. Here's how the passage came to the end again. So, um, so Jesus said, before Abraham had been born, I am. And he stated this idea of him and he was there before their father was even born. And there's this dialogue and discourse that is happening that, that the Pharisees are claiming to be sons of somebody they actually aren't. And in that claiming, they aren't telling the truth to themselves. But God himself, who picked Abraham, sees these Pharisees. And he had seen Abraham. And seeing how he came out to him and how he pursued him and then how he bowed before him and said, please don't pass by. In direct contrast to here are people that are plotting to kill him, claiming to be Abraham. And he's just saying that simply is not true. It brings the Pharisees to this place of the things that Jesus is claiming. He is, he is claiming to be the son of God. And that is a big claim. And he's doing it during the Feast of 
booze. And this is a big claim. And how he's talking about things is this, he has had firsthand experiences throughout the, the whole Hebrew calendar and the story of the Hebrew faith that he was there in the beginning. He was there at Abraham. He was there on Sinai. He was there, he's the bread from heaven. He was like all of these things, he was there. And so if people ever ask, so did he actually claim to be God? I mean, like, come on. Yes, he claimed to be God over and over and over again, and he had great poetry to say it. It brought the Pharisees to a place that they either could crown him king or they would have to kill him because that's the place that the testament that Jesus is bearing should bring people, that you either crown him king or you kill him because at that point, he says, this is who I am. And because of who I am, I can tell you exactly the person that you are. And instead of, of celebrating that idea, the thing that the Pharisees do is they go down and they pick up stones so that they can kill Jesus. And that's how the passage, John chapter 8, comes to the end. And so, <laughs> so there's this idea that during the Feast of Booze, that Jesus is claiming to be the presence of God. And the Feast of Booze celebrates God on the earth. God pitched his tent in the center of all the other tents. It's, he brings the bread. He brings the direction. He brings the substance. He brings the pillar of fire, which the sky is bright because of him. And, and claiming to be this very God during this holy festival in John chapter 8, it causes the holy people to pick up stones to kill Jesus because it brought them to a place of he's going to either be king or he is a criminal. And the people say he is a criminal. Here's the thing that's super cool about how John built chapter 8. Um, it begins Begins by telling the story of this person who is caught in adultery. And there is a place in the temple for people to be executed. It's the only place that they can be executed. And there are these boulders and stones there at that spot. It's like they are handy. And people will bring people to be on trial here in this spot, in this holy place of justice. And John chapter 8 begins at this circle, and there's the person caught in adultery, and Jesus is there, and the Pharisees are pointing at her, and Jesus, uh, through a whole uh, the dialogue, tells her, I don't condemn you. Go and be free. Then John chapter 8, at the end, it ends by, if there's only a single place that people can be stoned and there's, they're picking up st stones, he is back at that circle in the temple and the Pharisees are picking up st st stones and who is in the center of that circle? It's 
Jesus. And in this idea of the gospel of John and the prophets and poetry, there's a theme in the prophets that the Hebrew people are the adulterous person who goes and goes and finds the other gods. And during the Feast of Booze and the Feast of Tabernacles, there is a celebration of the forgiveness of God of bringing the Hebrew people out of that adultery into his presence. There's this idea of forgiveness, there's this idea of being, being chosen and picked, and there's this idea of go and do not sin because I am here. And so John chapter 8 is this, man, there is someone caught in adultery, and they are a sinner, and he says, I do not condemn you. Then John chapter 8, at the very end, Jesus, God himself, is standing in that circle as the Pharisees are holding stones, because from the poetic perspective, he is standing in the place for the adulterous person who from an Old Testament perspective is all of the Hebrew people and from a biblical perspective is the celebration of the Feast of Booze. And that's incredible. So it brings us to a place of seeing Jesus there in that circle and saying, do I crown him or do I kill him? And so I, I understand there's a lot there that's barbaric but here's the thing. If Jesus is God, it should impact everything. It should impact everything. If you crown Jesus, that should impact everything. To do the opposite is to pretend he doesn't exist. And if he doesn't exist, Jesus is not here. And if Jesus is not here, he is head. It would be, be, be like taking those stones and just putting it there on his grave because he doesn't exist. The crown Jesus as king would be to see him as father. And to see him as father would be to do only the things you see and hear him doing. And to, to be able to do and hear him see, doing anything, you have to be in his presence and you have to hear him and you have to see him and you have to follow him and it should impact everything. It, so if this truly isn't the case, then I'm scared. It'll put us probably in, a same, in the same boat that the Pharisees had been in saying, so I'm a son of God. However, Everything that I am does not define God at all, but somebody else. There's a point here in John chapter 8 that, that, the, that, that, the, that the journey of the gospel kind of turns its corner and begins the point towards the story of the crucifixion. Fiction. And that's happening. So the earlier chapters of John, it's just like, man, God's boots are on the ground. 
and he is doing incredible things. Then John chapter 8 says he's built his house here. He's building his kingdom here, and he's going to sacrifice it all for the kingdom of the earth. And we're going to combine heaven and earth crashing in together for a very beautiful thing. There's a different tone that takes place from this point on in the gospel of John because there is this heavy, are you going to crown him or kill him? Are you going to crown him or kill him? Are you going to crown him or kill him? And it's like the gospel is like, it's forcing people to tell the truth. Do you see him? Because it is as clear as a pillar of fire in the darkness. <laughs> he is. So, um, so that is the overall picture of our passage. Um, I got to be honest. So I just hovered over the top of it. So go home, spend some time unpacking it, have fun in there. Um, there is a ton to figure out, apply and to see. Um, but, but, but I hope that, that our sermon helped a tiny bit. So I'm going to say a prayer. Uh, uh, um, oh God, thank you for being gigantic. Thank you for being beautiful and poetic and big and holy and speaking very clearly. Thank you for having someone who has a hard time speaking possibly at all <laughs> to share the st st stories that you have done. Thank you for the paradoxes that you invite people into. Thank you for the hope that you are. Thank you for the gospel of John, for your Bible, for, for things to be just accurate and true and holy and good. Thank you for being here and holding our hand. Thank you for the heartbeat that, that you have to come towards us and to see us and to invite us to throw parties and to celebrate dates on the calendar that you have told us to follow. Thank you for all of it. You are our king. Teach us to hear the things that you're saying and to see the things you are doing. Show us our father and how to be sons and daughters. In Christ I pray, amen. Okay, let's talk about KJ's message. Okay, I just got to say from the beginning, it's just like, I was like, all over the place. I felt very chaotic and I felt oh. like I couldn't talk because I had all of these things going around in my head. And so I got done. I'm like, man, I'm ex exhausted. Yeah. Did, did I say anything? And I've been really confusing. <laughs> Could people understand me? Mm -hmm. all, all these things. And so I'm sitting mm -hmm. here like, 
Man, guys, I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> no, my gosh! Yeah. Okay, like, so yeah, just just being vulnerable. Uh-huh. Like there's that was a huge passage. So um, kudos to you for not trying to like look at every single oh, verse gosh. through yeah. that. That would have been impossible. Mm-hmm. And so picking the theme that you did, I think, is what uh, holds that that it. message together and makes it really challenging for each of us, considering how we invite. You know, Christ to dwell in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and this is Wednesday. So if you're watching this conversation after the weekend, yeah, it's a whole other ballgame. It's different. Yeah. It's a whole other (laughs) ballgame. Yeah. But from today, you know, I was just writing down, and that's why I got my phone here the themes of the Father, the the feasts, the adultery context, Him being the light, who He is, the context of the desert. Sons of Satan, sin, that whole thing, being set free. Abraham, the stoning. So I literally am like bullet, I got the bullet points mm. so I can break down like, wow, what does this mean to me? And I think, you know, here at the end, you're saying, are you doing the things? How, how do I see me crowning or killing Jesus metaphorically speaking, but in my life, like do the things that I do is who I am and my my actions reflect who my father is. And That's it's exactly such a profound, quite, exactly. So like this all comes together to who is our father. And by looking at you, by looking at you, can I see mm-hmm. who your father is? Yeah. And it's so profound that this whole chapter can seem so, uh, encrypted and all these questions, but it all boils down to, it's the question that you brought up from the beginning. It's this discussion, who am I? And who is my father, Jesus? Who is Jesus' father? Who is the Pharisee's right. father? Who is our father? And how significant of a question that is for our everyday life. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm just so saying So I on think that. keeping it simple like that, the identity of the Father is really yeah. valuable. I mean, you preached, Mariana, um, and reflected on the, the purpose statement in twenty chapter 21, verses 30 and 31, you know, that uh-huh. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I mean, John gives us the identity, and going back to John 1, um, he gives us the identity, and the question is, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to look and reflect the identity of the Father like mm-hmm. Jesus has done all along. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really a, a valuable. Um, but this idea of identity is key for us, yeah. reflecting the Father. Um, I, I was thinking about um, in John 1, if we could go back to John 1, you know, he, he is the light. Mm-hmm. He starts off that Starts way. out with light. Right. And then in John 1, 14, it says, and the, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's that tabernacle, the word yes. tabernacle. He yeah. tabernacled among us. Um, he is mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a, a brilliant thought going back to um, uh, Genesis 18, where you have Abraham. Father Abraham in his tent, in a tent, tabernacling. Yep. So one thing I, I noticed just to, yeah, I in John that. 8, um, verse 37, um, Jesus says, 
I know that you um, are Abraham's descendants, like physically speaking. Yet biology. You, yeah. Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Mm. That expression, has no place in you, my word does not dwell in you. I am not dwelling in you. You are not allowing. Wow. Yeah. My word is not tabernacling. Tabernacling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the similar kind of idea yeah. that comes there. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that whole theme can just continue to be unpacked. And I think you've peeled apart some of the layers of the onion, but there's yeah. a, so much more. Which yeah. is so ironic because out of all the people who were the experts in the word. Yeah. And then comes the question, is, is, that a, is that something that is influencing your living and oh, your man. actions? I, I had been at a, 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 a uh, man, this happened a long time ago. It's kind of a fun story inspired by that. I was at this pastor's conference okay. talking about the authority of the Bible. Okay. And the whole thing was about the authority of the Bible. And so is it true? Isn't it true? How tr true is it? Mm -hmm. uh, so the infallibility, uh, yeah. kind of uh -huh. all that. Mm -hmm. And this guy who was a guest sp 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 speaker, he came to the point that he built himself up. And he says, so who cares if the Bible is true or not? Because people don't follow it anyway. <laughs> and, and, but he's talking mm. to these pastors saying, so all you guys come here and you fight about the truth of the Bible, but you don't really follow You're it. You're not so doing who it. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. and, and I was like, man, that's really profound. Wow. Um, that, that there are these things that you were dying on the hill for, Mm. but don't actually embody it at all. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, uh -huh. I love everything about yeah. that statement. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's so yeah. true. I think I, too, really appreciated the, sorry, just turning yeah, the corner here not, on, on another point of the adulterous woman and the whole connection, because I think, it, you know, if you've been a Christian a while, you're so familiar with the story of the adulterous woman. Right. And I never really thought to connect that, that that's the imagery of what the prophets spoke about the Israelites. And that's how God addressed the church, the, the church, <laughs> the Israelites back then uh, in their pursuit of other gods and in their uh, unfaithfulness and what a beautiful extra added layer to that story yeah I think so too that we can yeah. if we imagine that that's us that's me spiritually speaking that's me the, the adulterous woman because that's what it has been how it's been described as uh, followers of God and then Jesus says I but I don't condemn you right and, and she he lets let go, and he condemned. goes yeah, there. The, oh, my gosh, just the connection of all of it. Starting there, when they're picking up rocks, then they walk away. Right. And then again, at the very end, they got rocks in their hands right. again, ready um, to kill him. Uh, yeah, the beginning and the, the end. end. It's just I, I, I When I think of that 
relationship, I think of like the fickleness of our faith. Because in John 8, it says that many believed, and it's a little bit hard to know whom he's talking to, but I, I think it's the people who, or the Pharisees who believed, and then suddenly they're not believing. Mm. I mean, they're going back and forth, and mm. I think that's um, something that we really have to pursue in our own relationship with God is trying not to be so fickle in what we, how we respond to yeah, Jesus really and good. how we turn to Jesus because it's so easy to like follow and then fall away mm. and then come back and fall away and not making room for Jesus in our hearts and then making room for Jesus in our hearts. There's this like back and forth. Mm. So in one level we have to give ourselves grace because we play the role of believing and then we play the role of the Pharisee disbelieving. Mm. And I, so I, I think that's another thing that we can learn in John 8 because they're, um, they're, they're falling away as mm. easily. I really appreciate that even in Jesus' confrontation, there is so much hope and grace that he says, if I set you free, you're free indeed. And I was listening to this thing the other day that, you know, Jesus' grace and truth, and we tend to think, it, you know, his 50% grace and then his 50% truth, he navigates both. But it's not that. He's 100% grace and he's 100% mm -hmm. truth. And mm -hmm. in his grace, there's 100% truth. And in his truth, there's 100% grace. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. just seeing the way he spoke to them is he's inviting them to something better. Like, I see the thing that is happening in you. But it's just a temporary place. Can it, I pull you out of here? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that's such a... I love how this passage helps us see Jesus in an even more profound way, who he is, and understanding this approach in, yeah, the grace and the truth and the truth in his grace. And he's so 100%. You just reminded me of John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And in John 8, we see Jesus as the way because he is the light who's leading the people through mm -hmm. the desert. And if he will set you free, you will be free indeed. You will come out of slavery. You will be in the promised land. He is the truth. All of, this whole chapter is about the truth, and he's the life because he's just set free this woman mm -hmm. in John 8, and she's free, and if you will know the truth, you will be free indeed. I, mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool. All these themes just keep circling around yeah. in, in John. So. Yeah, it, yeah, I love the th theme throughout. I just mm -hmm. want to highlight one more thing yeah. before we finish here because just this week I've talked to so many people that were in very difficult places in their life, you know, just dealing with very, very hard stuff. Uh, and I just want to keep this image in my heart of the pillar of fire in the desert because we, we read the story of people in the desert and we know there's the fire at night. Yay, that's great. But when you said for 40 years, yeah. for 40 years, there's no other light, zero. There's no gas, there's no lamp, there's no nothing except the fire of God to be the light for them. That is just so mind-blowing. It's one of the th those things that we know, but then like, whoa, hold on. That was the 
only thing for 40 years. And just that made me want to pray that, you know, for you, for us. In these times of, of darkness, what does it look like to have Jesus be the light and the, the truth of him being light? Uh, on top of that, something I just thought about, it, it, uh, so it's probably a, that pillar of fire being a s- source of heat. Um, mm. During the time the sun goes down in the d- desert, it's, it's freezing. Cold. And, and yeah. that the tents they're surrounding the pillar of fire. Right. Had there been a heat that was from that, so the light and the heat and the sense of home and safety and protection and like yeah, all of the symbolism. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And the a hundred percent dependence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They can't. They can't go without it. Yeah. And all of those, the bread. And the water right. and the light. Yeah. I love that. So good. Thank you. Thanks, TJ. Yep. We'll sit on it. Thank you guys for joining us and leave your comments if you have other thoughts and insights on this. We'd love to connect with you in that. So have a good rest of your day.